I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of podcasts. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so we may not need it this week, but let's give the reclaimer right up front. Uh, okay, sure. Just to remind everybody. Right, because we're going to talk about gardening, and uh, you don't have to be a doctor to grow a good garden, but <laughs> just in case, uh, we are not doctors. We're herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. There, there's probably going to be some gardening advice. There may be some of that, yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, no state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. These discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and ideas to research further. Everyone's garden is different, too. There we go. Nice. How does your garden grow? (laughs) (laughs) All right, and uh, we wish to remind you that your good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision when you're considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. You betcha. All right, well, just with that out of the way, for whatever that's worth, let's talk about growing your own herbs. Yeah. People ask us this frequently. Yes. They say, is it hard? I'm, is it impossible? Uh, what are the secrets? Um, how scare, scared should I be? How, how can I learn? Yes, right. What is the rest, what's the best herb to plant first? Yep. What else? Um, where, uh, there's lots of how can I learn it, where can I learn it? And uh, the answer to that one is very easy. In the garden? In the garden. Is that where you learn it? It is where you learn it. Yes, but gardens can look like many things. And we're going to ha- talk about some bucket gardens today. We're going to talk yeah. about some plywood gardens. Some, well, two by four, two, two by, four by sixes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. exactly. Yeah, all different, all different kinds of gardens. You don't have to have acres and acres of land. You don't even have to have land at all. You can just have like a porch or a corner of your driveway. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Well, so what got us thinking about this was we were uh, walking about in the city and we saw some snowdrops blooming in Boston uh, the other day. Yes. And we realized that, wow, it feels super early for that to be happening. It does. Uh, but uh, snowdrops going to bloom when it's the right time. Snowdrops going to snowdrop. They're going to do it, right? Yeah. There was no snow, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but that means, though, that it's the right time to be thinking about your garden. Yes. And if you don't have snowdrops where you are, there may be some other... Uh, spring ephemeral herb flower that appears as a signal that spring is actually coming. Yeah, yeah, it's time to, if you haven't thought about it yet, it's time to get thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, a lot of people ask us for gardening advice, and a lot of times I say something like, well, we're not herb farmers, and we don't have experience growing at that scale, which we don't. Um, So if what you want to be is a full-on herb farmer... Uh, we can't so much help you with that, although we've got friends who are really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about Foster Farm Botanicals and Zach, Zach Woods Farm, and there's just a lot of a lot of folks who are doing great. Oh, and Muddy, Muddy River. River, and I'm just yeah. like, I, as soon as you mention one, there's like 10 million that come right to mind. Yeah. But the thing is that you don't have to be a full scale herb farmer to grow buckets and buckets and buckets of herbs. Like you can grow most of your own supply of many different herbs with with very little space and also with not a lot of money right yeah 
don't mistake that for most of your own supply of every single herb that you want to right. work with, including some that you might want to work with really frequently, like, say, ginger, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but fortunately, uh, that herb is pretty readily available at the grocery store, so mm -hmm. that helps you there. And with other herbs, it's going to be somewhere between, right? So, But yeah, you can grow many of your own herbs, and you can grow a lot of some really friendly herbs mm -hmm. really easily, and uh, that's a particular thing that we've done the last few years. Well, you you for a long, long time, but <laughs> I was around for the last few years to help out with that a bit, um, and was kind of blown away by how much a small spot can produce. Yeah. yeah. I, I think this is one of those places where growing up in this culture, we we have the tendency to think that we need more. We need more, we need more, we need more. We need more of everything. And the reality is, like, if you just have a small amount of space, um, you can actually grow a ton of stuff. And you should. That's the thing. Like, even if all you do is grow one single plant, there are so many reasons to grow your own herbs. But um, the most important one to me is that you get to be in relationship with the plant while it's still alive. And that is so valuable, right? It's like, if all you have is stories about your great-grandmother, um, that's really cool. And they might be awesome stories that have a huge impact on your life. Um, but it's not the same as the people who knew her while she was alive and have and had the opp opportunity to have that direct relationship with her. So think that way about your plants and get to know them while they are still alive. Um, it, it matters a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And you see them go from, you know, maybe a seed, maybe a seedling, um, maybe just a young plant. And they go through their life cycle through the course of the year. And then depending on what kind they are, then like maybe they maybe they die and they're they're totally done. And that's it. And, you know, they maybe produce some seeds and drop mm. them. And maybe you gathered some or saw them fall in that in that same patch of land. And you're like, all right, I don't know that you're going to grow back next time. And there's a lesson to be learned from them, for sure. Yeah. Other times, the herb grows quiet, and you see it retreat into its winter form, and there's, like, woody twigs, and you're like, are you all right in there? What's going on? <laughs> and that's a different kind of a lesson, too, right? Like, nope, I've got it. I'm quiet. I'm ready. But when spring comes, I'm going to wake up and unfurl, and we're going to have a talk again. Yeah, and, and also, like... I might look pretty gnarly right now, and I might be a mess of, I've like... Been, I've been surprised a few times. I've been like, I don't think this one made it, you know? Yeah. And you wait, and then suddenly, like, no, there's a tiny little green leaf on there. Check it out. And then, like, yeah. poof, and they're, like, big and beautiful. And I think that, you know, that even if you never work with that plant internally, just the, mm. the watching of that lesson and then the times when you are really gnarly and... And like <laughs> just hanging on by a thread and people are looking at you like, man, are you all right? And you're like, no, no, I got this. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, like, you know, you see them through that whole life cycle mm -hmm. from, you know, one end to the other. And that, yeah. that's, there's a lot there. Right? You know, we've talked about uh, this part before, but um, when you spend a whole year in service to your herbs before you work with them, um, that's, that's also a big deal. And I, I, I know that I've talked about like carrying water and, and stuff like that, but, um, 
but really to, to put gardening in that perspective that when you are growing plants, you're in service to your plants and that's appropriate. That's completely appropriate because um, you're asking them to be in service to you. And so why not? Why not be in service to them first? Mm-hmm. Um, not only why not, but like there are so many reasons exactly to do that. Like first you work for them and then they'll work for you, you know, like it's reciprocal. And I think that especially in terms of reframing the way that our culture thinks about plants, like, um, well, I don't want to kill anything to feed myself, so I'll just eat plants. Mm -hmm. But then if you spend time in service to a living plant, you're like, wait a minute, this plant is alive too, you know, like, and then it suddenly becomes, wow, in order to feed myself, I have to take a life and then, uh, you know, that impacts everyone differently. We all make different choices on how to do that ethically. But for me, one huge part of that is that first off, I better make my life worth all the different living things who have sacrificed for my life. But also that, um, that for me to be in service to the life that sustains me is like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's like the the cliche to say that life feeds on life, but uh, you can see that very directly, right? Even mm-hmm. even if it's not like all of the food that you have on your plate, you know, like right. I, there have been times when we had a basil plant on a pot on the porch, <laughs> some tiny little apartment, and that was it. But you know, uh, a handful of times over that summer, it's like, all right, we're gonna have some salad and some food and you know, some basil leaves right on top, fresh from the plant, and you're like, wow think about what's going on here like we saw this plant grow and develop and we waited for the right time and can mm-hmm. i take this leaf and how many can it can it offer and sustain yeah. and then to like look at the rest of the food on your plate and say all of that's true for everything else also yeah. for these carrots and for that chicken and for everything else yeah. and to like really get a sense of that like yeah every single thing that i've ever eaten was alive at some point and that had to be so and somebody probably had to take care of it and you know, be thought thinking about it and worrying about it when there was a freeze and a storm and everything else. And all of that is in there. And that's why you can stay alive from one moment to the next. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I think about like, so the strawberry plants that we have, this is, uh, they're going into their third year now. And last year they were just profoundly prolific. I mean, I don't think I've ever had more strawberries per plant than those plants. It was just a great year for them. And also by saying that they were profoundly prolific, like that meant that I got like three or four strawberries a day. (laughs) (laughs) I had some almost every day, but it was like three or four of them every day. And then we think about how easy it is to go to the store and just have huge quantities of anything we want at any time. Um, yeah, I need 2,000 strawberries today. Yeah. Great. Can you afford it? That's the end of the story. Right. If Do you have that and, many dollars? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That Then you can have them. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- that skews our, like, it skews our understanding of our relationship with the, the whole rest of the world, like, proportionally. And... Um, so putting that back in context by growing your own food and like, well, this is how much basil I can have today, because if I have more than this amount of basil, then the plant won't be able to bear that 
mm-hmm. that sacrifice. Or this is how much, these are how many strawberries I can have today because that's how many there are. Like there just aren't any more than that. Yeah. So yeah, so the more that you grow your own plants, the more you start to see them as living things and all of the complexity and mm-hmm. interconnection that that requires. Yeah. You know, also when we think about that in terms of herbs in particular, you know, right now, um, one thing that I hear a lot from people is like, oh, well, mountain rose herbs is out of wherever. Where else can I get it? And a lot of times <laughs> I reply with, you can't. You can't have it right now. And that's always really shocking for new herbalists um, because because our society thinks you can get anything you want anytime. And when you come into this world and you haven't experienced it yet, that things are seasonal and that you things run out sometimes everybody's out of elderberries yeah like there's just only so many elderberries (laughs) that are you know available and um i think that growing your own plants makes you like much more a part of that cycle instead of just a person kind of on the outside of it frustrated because this vendor didn't have it so is there another vendor i can call and and sort of like still stuck in the consumer culture that we live in um growing your own plants and providing at least at least for one plant providing your own year-long supply um really helps you to start to get an idea of the cycles of availability how to live within those cycles how to recognize that um, there are other things that have that, their cycles as well. And so to say a year's supply doesn't necessarily mean that you have enough so that you can have it every single day for a year, but that it that all these plants and the, that we work with also have their own cycles, their cycles of being alive and then the cycles of how we work with them. Yeah. 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 And uh, man, all this stuff is so profound. <laughs> but then you know what else is that sometimes it's less expensive to grow your own herbs and that's way less profound but occasionally very important profound. yes occasionally very important yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know we've talked before I think about wild harvesting and that I am I, I am calling into question the sustainability of that practice however wild stewarding is fantastic and I highly recommend it and so um, that is also one way to make sure that it's less expensive is that and even the tea that we're drinking right now is some of our mugwort but the mugwort is mugwort that we stewarded in a four by eight raised bed in Dorchester mm-hmm. like which is a very it's a part of Boston it's very densely populated um, yeah it's you know, you don't have to be in pristine farmland. But the thing is that uh, mugwort is a plant that we really love, that we love the tea of. And so we always want to have a couple pounds of it a year. And we were able to produce all of our own mugwort just by encouraging weeds that found their way into our raised bed. Um noticing them the year before and realizing, oh my goodness, mugwort has seeded in here and then choosing to do things to really encourage that growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also choosing to encourage the spread of that seed. So so we had wild plant that we did not have to forage for. We had wild, 
plants that that showed up and then we stewarded and then we made sure that they reseeded. So reseeded, not receded. You know, right, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so maybe to to sort of start off by thinking about whether you're going to um whether you're going to encourage wild plants or you are going to plan to plant things either from seed or from seedlings maybe the very first thing to think about is um figuring out what kind of growing conditions the plants that you want to plant need right some of them are going to want dry soil that drains really well some of them are going to want boggy soil especially herbs a lot of our herbs grow in wetland areas so um, some of the herbs that you want might be herbs that need to have the soil basically damp all of the time. Yeah, but others might might prefer it to be really sandy and well drained and right. Um, yeah, and more of a dry kind of a kind of a spot. There's right. Big variations between how much sun um, various plants are going to want. So that's another thing that you're going to need to know um, about any herb that you're considering growing. Yeah. And think about it in both directions. Be like, I really love this plant. I absolutely want to grow it. What does it need and where can I find it or find the closest thing to that around me or in my area? But also think about, well, what kind of light do I have in this spot of yard or in this, you know, place where my balcony is and I'm going to put some pots out there, yeah. right? Um, how many hours of sunlight does it get over the day? Or if, you, if you've been there long enough, you know, what is it like at different times of the year? Um, uh, yeah, consider, consider all of that. And then also just your local climate. You know, with plants, there's often... Um, uh, growing zones that people refer to like this is a zone five and that's a zone six and those are kind of fluid uh yeah they're kind of changing with right, climate yeah. change <laughs> but I'm, um thinking, but yeah. you can look up and the plants are um categorized it's very easy to look up um the zone that you live in you can just say um your zip code on like you can search on the internet your zip code plus usda growing zone right. and um and then you can you can let's say there's a plant you want to grow mullen uh and you can literally just search uh will mullen grow in zone five like whatever your zone is yeah and um in in general actually that's a like so there's two ways that I think are the best to get gardening information or growing information. Um, and both of them are free. Uh, so one of them is just go find the plant that you want to grow and look around. Like, is it growing in a, uh, like p big pile of dry dirt? And I'm thinking about mullein well, in that yeah. case, you know, yeah. um, or is it growing in a place that has a little bit of shade or is it growing in a place that's like right on the edge of some water or mm -hmm. like, like that's the very first thing where you find it in the wild. That's, that is that plant telling you, this is where I want to live. And, and where you find it multiple times, right? Like, mm -hmm. so one of the first mullein plants that I met was standing in the middle of a bright sunny field all by itself and, um, was really very yellow and was a little too exposed and yeah. a, little, a little sunburnt basically. <laughs> um, and if that was the only mullen I had ever seen, then I might have some, uh, less than helpful ideas about where to go looking for mullins. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is really helpful to see, see multiple of them. Right. And, and just like carry around a little notebook and, and just make some notes. Oh, I saw mullen here and this is, this is how it was growing. I saw mullen there and this is how it was growing. Mm -hmm. 
And then the other thing you can do is just Google um, and growing conditions and put in the plant you're interested in. So growing conditions, mullen, um, and it will pop right up and tell you how much sun. It'll usually be like the first or second uh, thing that you get back will just literally be bullet points. Um, because so many people are writing about this stuff. So it becomes very easy to get the information. Um, and it will tell you like, it likes this much sun. It wants this kind of dirt. Uh, it wants this much water. That's what you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no real substitute for finding the plant and spending some time looking at it and, and looking at it and thinking a little bit about what do you see? What can't you see, but you can tell is happening mm -hmm. um, to really really spend some dirt time with your plants. Yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, you can get tons of, of information off the internet and that's great and important, but looking at the plants is so much more important. And um, it is literally the number one thing that you can do to be a successful garden is gardener is to go outside and look at your plants every day. Like, not just sort of walk past them, but like really go out there for 20, 30 minutes and just look at your plants very closely. Um, and if you're thinking, I wouldn't even know what I'm looking at. Like, how will I know if they're happy or not? Well, how do you buy vegetables, right? When you're at the grocery store and you wanna buy kale and you're standing in front of the, the rack, that, the like shelf that has kale on it, how do you decide which kale to buy, right? One of them, maybe one of the bunches has like some yellow on the edges and you don't buy that one, right? You buy the one that has the the greenest greeny green color, right? Or <laughs> if it's the purpley kind of kale, you get the kind that has the purpliest purple purple color. Um, Maximum purpleness. Yeah. 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 And so, or like <laughs> if you're if you're trying to buy an apple, and it's a green apple or a red apple, you want the one that's most fully saturated. Like, that's just what you do. You might not even notice it, but the next time you go grocery shopping, notice what you pick up. Your, what you're choosing is the stuff that is healthiest, right? You're trying to get the most beautiful one, the one that doesn't have any like nibbles by bugs, it doesn't have any brown spots or yellow spots. Yeah, although I will say, <coughs> Uh, one of the things to learn uh, in your journey of being a very young, growing sort of things human turns out to be that a little bit of like bugs on the leaf and a little bit of yellow spot here and there is not the end of the world. That's true. Turns out that they're it's... actually okay with that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but in general, if the whole plant is mostly happy green, like you would want to buy it if it was vegetables, then it's happy. And if it's got like one leaf that's been munched or one leaf that's like yellow or brown, like yeah. don't worry about that. Yeah, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. Right, 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 right. But if the majority of the plant is plump and happy, perfect. If the majority of the plant is wilty or if it has a lot of brown spots on it or a lot of yellow spots on it, um, then there's a problem. That plant's not happy. And then you got to figure out like, why is it not happy? And you might think, well, how on earth would I ever figure it out? Where will I start? Right? Yeah. You Google. Where do you start for everything else these right. days? I mean, here right. we are, right? You just Google. <laughs> yeah. So, it's... so you could, you could just be like basil brown spots. 
That and then because that's what you saw. You saw brown spots on your basil. Yeah, you're not the only one making searches like this, right? Right. Um, <laughs> tiny, tiny little white bugs are on my my catnip plant. Okay, type that in exactly like that. You'll get some somewhere to start, right? Yes. And don't take any of your first, you know. Uh, don't just like click I'm feeling lucky and then just take whatever shows up as gospel, right? Read multiple different reports here. There will be pictures for you to compare and to look at. Sometimes there's little video talks and stuff that you, yeah. can, you can listen to. But um, we live in an era where this is a, a way that it is possible to go and to learn things. But the key here, as in any other kind of research that you do through the search engines, <laughs> is to uh, interpret or to, to investigate those results critically. Right, mm -hmm. so keep your mind active. Uh, look through it, see if it matches what you're observing, and if it jives with your all of your common senses that you have. Uh, and if so, then try it and see what happens. Try it and That's see what happens. That's the key, right? Like you can read all the stuff you want, and you can be like, I, I think I know the right answer, or I have no idea about the right answer. Yeah. Either one of those, you just have to try something. And if it wasn't right, the plant will tell you, and then you try again. Yeah, that's fine. But really, um, really just watching is, it's so important. Go out there, sit out there, look at your plants. Uh, okay. You're looking at your plants. It's great. Mm -hmm. So other than that, um, I would recommend that you start with the easy ones like lemon balm or calendula or I just something super like sage, something really, really yeah. easy. Yeah. If you don't know where to start at all, then pick your favorite herb from the mint family. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's that's your mints. Yeah. That's also the well, that's the lemon balm is a mint, right? Mm -hmm. Like sage, rosemary, lavender. Those are in the mint family. Mm -hmm. Pick one. Give it a shot. Uh, these are irrepressible. Yes. Mm. Um, and. Though, like, if you pick some easy ones, those will give you confidence. And if you pick some really tolerant ones, like fault tolerant plants, they will give you confidence. And if you don't know which those are for your area, go to the garden store. Uh, don't go to like, if there's only a Home Depot, fine. But it's better if you go to a, a garden store where they have their own nursery and they're growing everything from uh, from scratch there. Um, because they'll be able to give you better advice. But uh, you can say, listen, this is my first garden and I want to grow some herbs. Can you tell me what is the easiest herb that you stock? Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't even have to know what herb is easy. You can literally just go and ask somebody and they will say, oh, it's this spearmint plant. And you'll be like, great. Okay. I'm growing spearmint this year. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This anisysip always does really great. You know, yeah. like, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. And they're going to know for your region. So that's really helpful, too. Yeah. So that's where to go if you're looking for, um, I don't know, any any herb that has officinale in its name, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yep. But we really, uh, really, really strongly advocate for um, letting the weeds of your world uh, into your garden. Mm -hmm. Oh, What's that all about? I thought most of gardening was weeding, right? No. <laughs> you know, last year's garden was 100% weeds. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, so I didn't weed anything. It was 100% we, we weeds. We did pull out grasses. There weren't as many there grasses. There weren't as many, right? Especially after it got rolling. Yeah, yeah. There were so many fewer grasses than 
um, the previous year when I had done a lot of, I think like this, so this four by eight bed is two years old now. Um, and like we, we grew plants in it two years. And the first year I wanted to grow some like really specific plants. And the second year, like at the end of that year, I noticed a bunch of weeds seeding themselves. I noticed evening primrose, I noticed mugwort. Um, and I was like, oh, and a bunch of erigeron was in there also. And I was like, I'm not gonna do anything. We put some nettle in. Some of the cilantro came back because I yeah. let it go to seed. And mostly it was a ton of mugwort, a ton of primrose and a ton of erigeron. And we got probably two pounds of each of those. And then the strawberries on the, the other side. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and that was like, literally, we didn't plant any, we didn't plant it. Um, we just encouraged it. We just noticed that it, it was there and we were like, okay, you get to have your turn. And it was wonderful because there was so much less like grass that grew in between the plants and whatever else. It was great. Yeah, and it was it was also very low pressure as well, yeah. right? Like these are the weeds; these are the plants that show up places that people aren't looking for them. And so, if you forget to water, if you know that you're going to be going away for three straight days or for a week or something, mm -hmm. and you're like, "Oh no, what's going to happen to my garden?" Plants like this, they will they will brush be it off. Fine. They will laugh. They will say, "We're fine. Yes. You don't even have to worry about us." Yes. So that's that can be nice if you have that kind of a schedule too. Yeah, we also didn't have to worry about the strength of the sun mm -hmm. um, last year because uh, because they were plants who could take it. Yeah. So that was really good. When we had planted a bunch of basil in that spot, I ended up having to get a sunshade, and I'll talk about that later. But um, so we moved our basil to places that weren't quite so bright because it was a little too much sun for the basil. Um, I also want to talk though about some of the more challenging plants because um, it like starting with the easy plants will build your confidence and build your experience. But then of course there's always like, oh, but I really want to grow this plant. And maybe it's hard for you or maybe you just don't know if it's going to be easy or hard. Mm. So pick pick one of two, one or two of those every year. And that way, you know that you're going to have some success with some plants that you have experience with and that you are realizing like, okay, these are pretty easy. I know that I can do that. And then pick a couple that you're like, these are new to me and I'm not sure if they're going to be easy or hard, if they're going to like what I, what I have to offer them. Um, and so that is the way to like kind of stretch yourself every year. To, but don't, don't plant an entire garden of plants who you're like, well... I think all these are going to be really challenging and I don't really know because that'll be disappointing at the end of the year. So that's why I just say like pick yeah. a bunch of easy ones and then a couple that you're like, these are my, these are my like stretch goal plants. Right. Yeah. And over the years there are plants that started that way for us and then became more of like, all right, we've got you figured out. Yes. You know, like yes. the first time we transplanted the Solomon seal, it was like, oh man, <laughs> are, are they going to make it? This is so, <laughs> this is so nerve wracking, right? Yes. Um, and over the years, like that patch went from three or four different apartments with us. Uh -huh. uh, and it finally ended up in Royalston. Yeah. Yep. Moved all around a few times. And, and it was fine. It was fine every year. Every time was, that we moved it, it was fine. It was, but it was like that first year was learning, like it needs these conditions and it like it, this much shade and this much water in the soil. And yeah. like, now all we have to do is find that spot in the new yard. Yeah, right? that's true. Or, or when we brought it out to the land, it was like, all right, we got to find a spot just like that. And we know because we've 
spent a lot of time sitting next to those Solomon seal and being like, oh, it feels like this here. Yeah. Right? The yeah. dirt feels like this. The, the air moving through here feels like that. The light coming down oh, at noon looks like this. Right. There's right. a big tree next to it, mm-hmm. so it's not going to get the full sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So back to those those observations. And that's what takes those difficult herbs that feel like they're on your edge for you and makes them something you're like, I know, I've got you all figured out here. I know yeah. what you like. I know what you want. I know what you need. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then you can give that to the plant, and then the plant gives back to you love Yeah. in the form of plant. <laughs> and you know, if you try, if you try one that's really challenging and you, and you don't get it the first year, that's fine. Try again next year. Um, it, it's okay to like struggle a little bit and say, okay, well I learned some stuff, but now I need to learn again. You know, the plants will not hold a grudge against you. No, <clears throat> no, mm-hmm. no, they're okay. Um, you know, I also think this is probably a good time to talk about, um, some of our native plants that we're losing. So find out for your area, who are the at-risk plants in your area? And um, United Plant Savers keeps a list on their website of all of the plants that are endangered and also all the plants that are at risk of becoming endangered. And it's a really good idea to just figure out which of those plants grow in your area and go ahead and grow some. And don't even ever plan to harvest them for medicine. Just Mm -hmm. grow them as in terms of like part of repopulating. And so Solomon seal is one of those that in the wild Solomon seal is becoming more and more rare, Uh, but it's so easy to cultivate. So that's actually super handy that it, that it's an easy one to cultivate if you can find the right spot for it. Um, but so that one is really important to me to grow every year. And um, on the other hand, like ginseng and golden seal are, they're not easy, <laughs> they're challenging. Um, but it's important to me to try um, because eventually I will learn how to do it. And that is part of reestablishing plants who are native. In our area, bloodroot and trillium are two also that mm. um, we really like to plant and then not harvest. Just just plant, just so that it can start to grow, get its foothold back. Because those are plants that should be here, but have been over-harvested. And now it's very rare to find them in the wild. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so then the other thing people ask all the time is, um, where should I get my plants and how should I get them? Mm. Right? Is it, is it better to start from seed? Uh, is it easier to start from the little, little square trays, little (laughs) square plastic pot things that they come in, seedlings like that? What's, what's the best way to do it? Well, there's pros and cons to both method. Um, and mostly you should do the one that appeals most to you. Sometimes it is easier to just buy the seedlings at a local store, a local like garden store or whatever. Um, and There are some plants that can start from seed right outside. You don't have to like have all the equipment to the lights and all that stuff. You can just put the seeds in the ground and they will grow. Sunflowers. Yes, it will happen. Mm, Um, And so those are awesome. But some plants uh, either need to be started indoors or um, you can start them from seeds, but you have to do it the year before, right? Because yeah, yeah, wild plants... They, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Oh, yeah, or sometimes you need to treat the seeds in a particular way, right? Like with some seeds, you can't just take them from the packet and put them in the dirt and then hope for the best. You have to, like, uh, rub them with sandpaper or get them wet and then put them in the fridge for a minute and then do, and then this. So the, sometimes there are, like, extra steps to right. how to right. go from seed to plant. Right. Mm-hmm. So those obviously don't happen in the wild. There's not, like, little squirrels who are putting them in the refrigerator. Um, but that those methods are to recreate winter for the seeds because there are many seeds that won't germinate until after they have been frozen. Or the sandpaper thing is to recreate, like, passing through the digestive tract of a bird. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So so sometimes it's enough to just spread those seeds before, like it, the fall before you actually want them to grow. But uh, sometimes you do have to go through that whole process. And, and, and that can be hard. So don't start there unless you really want to. It is literally like your garden is completely legitimate, even if the whole thing was grown by seedling. It's still totally legitimate. So um, you don't have to start any seeds at all if you don't want to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. And if you are going to start from seed, you have to know in advance and you have to be a little bit early and have the setup for it. And sometimes there's equipment involved in this and this. Yeah. Oh, so it's also good to know that when you buy the seed packets, it will tell you whether you buy them online or whether you buy them in person um, at a local store, it'll say on the seed packet or it'll say on the, the webpage where you buy it, how to start those seeds. So they may, it might say like, you have to start this indoors eight weeks before the last frost or something like that. Um, and so if you're not prepared to go ahead and have all these little seedlings growing in the sun or with a grow light somewhere in your house, don't buy packets that say that you're going to, if you're not willing to do that, which is fine, you do not have to do it. Um, then look for seeds that say direct. sow or something like, so outdoors after the last threat of frost or something like that. Um, and the, those are plants and sunflowers are a great example. Those are plants where you can literally just stick the seed in the dirt, put some water on it and it's going to be fine. Um, as long as you do it after the last freeze. Yeah. yeah. Sunflowers are great. They're so easy and they're so wonderful. They're so amazing. When they come up there. Yes. Yeah. They are so amazing. Nice. So um, some advice here is to start small, right? Mm -hmm. Because it would be very easy to, you know, uh, have the garden catalog show up and to page through it and say, I'm going to circle everything that's in here because it all looks cool or fun or handy or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, And that's great, but not all of us have the money. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. so yeah, so you don't you don't need those things. No. You don't. They're not required to get started. No, right? um, you can start with a couple of buckets and some dirt and your hands, and that'll actually be enough. Yeah, mm. if you get those like Home Depot buckets, uh, they're like three bucks or something. And if your plant that you want to grow needs good drainage drill some holes in the bottom or if you don't have a drill just get a hammer and a nail and nail some holes into the bottom yeah and that way it will drain 
Yeah, well, you can set how much drainage you want, right? With some plants, it's one or two holes in the bottom, and with others, it's like just perforate the whole just thing all the holes way around. everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yes. I mean, like we have, you know, we have had calamus growing in a bucket like that for many years now. Yeah, with no <laughs> holes because calamus wants to stay really wet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so there's it is literally in a bucket with no holes so that it will hold on to. And sometimes it gets really muddy in there. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. That calamus likes that quite a lot. Yeah. Um. I also, oh, I, I was going to say wood betony too. We've grown wood betony in buckets mm-hmm. forever. That one wants a little drainage at the bottom, but we've grown that in buckets all the time. And there's something really actually great about growing in buckets, especially if you're new to gardening, which is that if you aren't exactly sure how much sun your plant will want or how much water your plant will want, then if you put it in a bucket, it can, it can be very individualized. If you're like, oh my goodness, like I decided one year I was going to grow a bunch of basil, um, which was not a plant that I really had ever been very interested in growing before. And then I was like, I'm totally obsessed with basil now and it's basil year and I'm going to grow a ton of basil. And I put it in a place um, that it didn't like and I burned all of it. And uh, so then uh, I tried again. <laughs> I turned off of basil for a while and then I tried again but I got a sunshade for it and that was better mm. but then last year was actually my best basil year ever because I only grew basil in buckets you know yeah <laughs> and then I just moved the buckets until it was perfectly happy and got like the Goldilocks amount of sun and when I found that spot I was like that's where you're staying I'm not moving the bucket again and that was great yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's real that's real for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, evening primrose grows out of buckets just fine. Yep. Um, uh, mugwort, absolutely. You know, sage is pretty handy that way. The mints again, the lavender and catnip. And They're friends. all fine in buckets. It's going to be easy. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's talk about raised beds for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We built one a couple of years ago uh, at our apartment in, in Dorchester. And I think... I think we probably paid, I don't know, 20 bucks in materials. We used two by sixes, not pressure treated, just regular old two by sixes. And it was four by eight. So we had one, two, three, four, five, six, two by sixes. Is that right? No, five. Yeah. Six because each end was, yeah. yeah, So, um, six, eight foot two by sixes. And then in each corner we had like a two by four that we just, screwed the ends into to make it into a rectangle we lined it with landscape fabric and we filled it with dirt and the dirt was the most expensive part the dirt was like 80 bucks which was fine because um you know we were that raised bed was going to last for a while we've since moved to a new apartment but that raised bed is still there and the downstairs people are gardening in it right well not right now but they're planning to garden in it (laughs) (laughs) they're making their plans right now and so okay so eighty dollars might seem like a lot to pay for dirt but it was really good dirt and it's gonna last for a long time after that you just need to put some compost in so that's good but that that four by eight bed just grew tons and tons of stuff so that's to me that seems like a really good value um, and, and it works really well if you live in a place where you can't just dig in the dirt. And that was true. 
um, in that part of town, the dirt was all had tons of lead in it yeah. and whatever. So having that barrier in between was important and bringing in fresh dirt was important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That and also choosing herbs and things to grow there or to encourage to grow there that weren't uh, deep diggers. Yeah, because we had 12 inches Mm -hmm. of soil. Yeah, I mean, you could maybe get away with some burdock there, but honestly, it's better not to. Yeah, It's going to dig straight down underneath. So, yeah, so everything we had had pretty shallow root structure. Yeah. You know. I'm trying to think, you know, also we left behind some mullen because we, ha- we had some first year mullen growing in there mm. last year. And so they'll have mullen this year, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and even so whether you plant in a raised bed or whether you own your own property or you rent, even if you own your own property, it's still totally legit to plant in buckets and then just decide, like, once you figure out where the plants that you want to grow are happy, then you can pay to put in, like, a raised bed and or whatever. Or then you can rip up the grass and put a garden there. Yeah. Um, but, like, having buckets for a couple of years first helps you really get established on, okay, I know where I want things to be. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you're just anxious to get going and you just want to put a raised bed up and you're like, oh, we're going to do it. Let's we'll f- figure it out later. That's fine. That's fine. But probably choose the sunniest spot you can you can select. Yes. Because it's easy to um, put shade. It's less easy to create more sun. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for shade, uh, what that was a big thing for us at that garden in Dorchester because the, it was like... Got more sun than we thought it was. It was such full. It was harsh sun. It was really hard sun. And um, it was also the only place that we could put it. It was where the landlord told us we could put it. So that's fine. Um, But (laughs) real world constraints, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, as things were burning in the garden and you could tell that they were burning because the leaves would get yellow and yellow. And um, so I just got one of those mesh tarps. I, and honestly, I got it on Amazon and it was like, I don't know, $10 or $15 or something for a 10 by 10 mesh tarp. And it's a tarp and it's got the grommets and everything. But instead of being solid, it it's like woven mesh, right? So a percentage of the sun gets through, like 60% of the sun gets through and the rest of it is shaded or you, there's different percentages. You can choose the percentage you want. Mm. Um, and so we just did that and then we strung it, like there was a fence on one side and a balcony on the other and we just strung it between them and it was great. And it was just like a little personal sunshade for the garden and everything was really happy that way. We didn't need it the second year because instead we worked with more sun tolerant plants yeah yeah um but it was really very effective it was like a sale yeah you know? it was <laughs> great put that up and yeah it was it was really great a couple of guy lines running from it yeah to the edges and there you go for yeah. this year coming um in our new apartment we have pretty strong sun also we're like very south facing like it's like every corner of the of the property is south facing somehow i don't even know like how can all four corners be south facing but like everything is south facing there's like really strong sun so um one of the ways that i'm planning to deal with that is to preferentially choose plants that want really strong sun so that i don't have to rig a shade again 
Um, yeah, so sage, rosemary, thyme. Chamomile. So chamomile. much chamomile. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And then the plants that really want a bunch of shade, uh, we're just putting in Royalston where we where yeah. there is shade. So that's fine. Yeah. All the trees. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like if you if you look at your property and you're like, well, I get all of the sun. Um, then, you know, we, we didn't keep any of the Solomon seal here. All of that went to the forest in Royalston. Um, and we're not going to try to grow Solomon seal here because it's just not like there's just way too much sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so so make those kinds of choices. Or if you have a super shady everything and you just don't get very much sun at all, then maybe you choose, oh, well, I'm going to grow things like violet and I am going to grow a ton of Solomon seal and I'm going to grow English ivy and, and whatever mm-hmm. things that will um, like periwinkle, things yeah. that will really flourish in a more shady environment. Right. Jack in the pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> not not an not an herb uh, to work with <laughs> internally, but uh, but an amazing plant that you definitely should grow. Yeah. If it will grow in your area. Nice. Yeah, so you try things, right? You you try it out, you see what happens, you make mistakes, you fix them if you can, if you don't, you learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um it's like it's like a lot of other kinds of learning that you can prepare a lot (laughs) and that's great and that counts for a bunch and you get gold stars but then you have to actually go out there and do it and get the dirt under your nails and you will learn a lot more there than you will listening to us yeah (laughs) i mean you can bring us with you into the garden yes that's what podcasts are for yes (laughs) absolutely yeah um i think you know our culture is all about finding the right answer and being the right prepared and then things will go right and um, just go out there and try it. Yeah. Just try it. Just try it. Oh, hey, well, once you've grown your plants, then you probably yes. want to uh, continue. Yes. Right? There may be some that you just let them grow and you admire them and that's that's how you relate. But, you know, you're an herbalist. You're probably thinking, I bet I could make some remedies out of this stuff. I bet I could make some tea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, drying your plants is a good place to start. And you don't need a dehydrator, but it does help. Yeah. It does help kind of a lot, actually. Yeah. Like, for a long time, we didn't have a dehydrator, and so I didn't dry very much. I dried, like, some goldenrod in brown paper bags with a a space heater. Which is really yeah, we inefficient. Yeah, rigged, rigged up like a uh, like a laun- like a folding laundry rack, you know, that had lots of like layers and tiers to it, and then like had a space heater next to it or under it, and then like bags sort of like perched balanced on top on and yeah. <laughs> balanced around. It's ridiculous. And you know what? It worked. It did work. It worked. Um, an actual dehydrator does work better. It does. It turns out. Yeah. So we finally got one yeah. last year, and we didn't get like a fancy one. I think the it's a gourmand or something is the brand and it's just a nine tray dehydrator. We literally, we got it on Amazon. Um, and about like a hundred dollars. I that think one. it was, but there, there, there are some that are like $40 and there you even can often find them at thrift shops or even just ask around because you might know people who already have them. Yeah. Look at Craigslist or free cycle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I will also say that uh, when we f- finally bought one, I mean, there was like a solid month where it was running like every day. Like we, yeah, we dried so much stuff. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, in the whole room, you would walk in and it would be redolent of mugwort or fleabane or evening primrose leaf. And you're just like, yep, this is all right. It smelled so good. Yeah. I'm good good with this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We've kind of, we're keeping the dehydrator in a room that we're in a lot now. I think in anticipation of when we have some fresh herb material to run in there and uh, just hang out in here and saturate in it. Every winter. herbalism too, right? Yes. (laughs) Every winter I dry orange peels and... um, they don't really need the dehydrator, but um, but I am excited for when we start dehydrating again and the whole room smells great. Yeah. Um, sometimes people wonder whether fresh herb is better or dried herb is better and when do I want this one or that one? And that is um, kind of an... It, it, there's some personal preference. There's also like an herb by herb basis. Um, so both in the medicine making course and also in the materia medica course, we do, um, mention, oh, okay, this herb, if you're going to tincture it, you really want to tincture it fresh. Um, and that herb, if you're going to make oil from it, it really should be fresh. Sometimes it doesn't matter, but, um, if you are looking for sort of a general guideline, then generally I myself prefer to tincture and make oils from fresh plants and to make tea from dried plants. Um, that's not like set in stone, but no, there are lots of exceptions, but they're the exceptions that more or less enforce the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of set in stone, there is one thing that we forgot to mention, which is do not take all of the rocks out of your garden. Oh yeah. yeah. If you have a garden and it doesn't have any rocks in it, put rocks in on purpose. Because that's one of the ways that your garden gets minerals. It's like the primary way that your garden gets minerals. So a good rocky garden is really, yeah, <laughs> that's, where, that's where it's at. More work for you, but that's uh, often the way that things go. That's okay. You know, the reason that people take the rocks out is because if they till the garden, then the rocks hurt the tiller, the blades on the tiller. But I don't till my gardens. My, honestly, you guys... My garden tools, I have a spoon that I really like. (laughs) I have a pair of scissors that I really like. And that's... Oh, and I have an old... We have some of those claws. I have an old claw thing with one of the claw things missing. Right. Um, Yeah. That's like, those are my tools. That's that's what I like. We have one that used to have three claws, but the two of them broke off and now it's just one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's very precise, right? It's the You're best like one though. It's the best yeah. one. Because you do, the thing is that in the, there's all there's this huge network in the dirt of all kinds of life forms. And you you don't need to disturb all that. You don't have to till it every year. In fact, don't till it every year. Uh, don't ever till it. And just like scrape yeah. it where you want to put stuff in, loosen some stuff just with your hands, loosen some dirt and put the seed in. And it's good. Yeah. And maybe this is also worth saying that if you did start from a seedling or or if you were even transplanting herbs to rescue them or something like that, um, when you're moving plants, you're not going to like shake all the dirt off of it until it's just a bare root hanging around in the air right. and now you're going to move that from place to place. Like if I'm taking a plant from this big bucket it's been in, I'm finally putting it into the ground. We're taking like a big hug full of dirt over here yeah. and we're going to like plop the whole thing down and that's going to integrate into the into the ecosystem over there. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you take some of that plant's soil microbiome and its ecosystem along with it to its new home. Isn't that like Dracula? 
It's exactly like Dracula. Yes. He it's also like how when you move dirt. from place to place, you like to bring your flora with you. Yes. Right? The your plant, own microbiome. The plant like to bring theirs with them as well. Yes. Yeah. So it's <laughs> just a matter of like loosening the soil around wherever, whatever you're going to put in so that it can integrate. But you don't need to like loosen all of the soil everywhere. It's better if you don't. Right. Okay. But, um, Yes, but we were talking about fresh versus dried <laughs> yeah, herbs. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, I think we mostly got that. That um, yeah, there's in each video in the Materia Medica section and in each type of preparation in the medicine making course, there are instructions about like for this you really want fresh or for that dried is great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah, cool. Well, uh, we hope that that was helpful. That's really all there is. And interesting. And that you feel um, inspired and confident and demystified a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, the willingness to experiment is the primary thing, right? And I know that that's a theme for us. <laughs> and that most weeks comes down to, well, you should really try it and see how it goes for you. And observe and take notes and, you know, like keep that yourself engaged and, and be there directly and rely on your own experience more than you rely on our theory and our and our teaching um, you know yes it is based on our experience though. it is yeah <laughs> so, like there's something to it <laughs> yesterday um we bumped into this lovely woman who was uh we were talking about african violets together actually um and she was saying oh my father is so good with plants and i wish i had inherited that gene from him because i'm terrible at plants and um i just want to say I was terrible at plants. I I come from a household that like no greenness in the thumbs at all. And it really was just about saying, well, I have to grow something and trying it and failing at it a lot. Mm. And, um, and then like having some success and being excited about that and over time. And now like, now you're very confident. I am confident. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident on one hand. On the other hand, I'm like, well, I'm not like an herb farmer, but but I, I'm confident about my own plants, you know, <laughs> like my plants for me, I'm really confident about. Yeah. So it's, it's, you don't have to be born with this. You just have to look. You have to really observe and observe with curiosity, like, Oh, what's going on there? Like, I, you know, and not observe like there's a bug. I have to kill it. But, but like, huh? Well, which bug is that? And is that one of the friendly ones or the not friendly ones? You know, like that. Those observing with curiosity. That's really the way to do it. That's where it's at. Yeah. All right. So let's close up with some shout outs. Oh yes. <clears throat> so we got a shout out to Girl with the Braids on Instagram. Who said that the pain episode came at just the right time? Hey, good. I'm yeah, I'm excited about that. Dara wrote in to say that she liked it too, so I'm super happy. Nice. And there's going to be a lot more on that topic in the nervous system and emotional health course, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Sharon who shared a cool mushroom grower with us over in Nebraska. Yes, I am super excited. Uh, This is a grower who has dried lion's mane Mm. um, in stock, so I'm pretty excited to grab some. Interesting, interesting. Uh, To Amy James 2.0 on Instagram, I think that's how that's pronounced, who was excited about the kava rose and vanilla oil in a previous episode. 
That is exciting, isn't it? Yes. And on that theme, Sarah Swink, who is making infused wine for Valentine's Day. Have they went well yesterday? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Nice. And we have one to, let's see, Carlos eight amounts four. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm not sure how to do that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Who wrote us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, thanks so much. We're really grateful when y'all write us reviews or share the pod with your friends. That helps us get the Irby love out to some folks who may not have seen it otherwise. Yes. Yeah. So uh, wherever you get your pods, wherever you're listening now, there's probably a review function in there somewhere. If you would take a few minutes and dig that out and type in some friendly words there, then we will read them and we will feel warm fuzzies in our hearts. Um, But also other people might see them and be inspired to come and check it out. Learn some herbs, grow some herbs, and... Grow some herbs! Feel a little bit more delightful. Yes. Uh, And, of course, you can always pass along the pod the old-fashioned way by just telling your friends, hey, you should listen to this podcast. And that works, too. It's the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. (laughs) You can find it wherever wonderful pods are to be downloaded. (laughs) (laughs) Which is in the internet, everywhere. That's the power of the pod we're always talking about, right? That's right. That's what that is. <laughs> All right, so we'll be you back. You are cracking me up today. <laughs> so, so we'll be back next week with some more Holistic Herbalism podcast for you. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Drink, drink some, some tea. tea. Possibly from plants that you grew yourself. Like we, oh wait, we drank we it. I was going to show it off, but we drink it all so you can't see the lovely mugwort that's in there. There's a little left. I'm going to drink it now. And in case you were wondering, how can I see anything on this podcast, then you may not have heard that we put these as video on YouTube every week as well. So you can also find us there. All right. With tea. With tea. That's it. Bye. Go, go. Get your hands dirty. <laughs> okay. <laughs>